0: Hello, welcome to Tea Time History Chat Live. Today, I'm going to talk about the Great Fire of London because we're on the run-up to the anniversary. Um, so what did we today? 30th of August. And the fire started on the 2nd of September, went through to the 6th of September, excuse me, 1666. So it sort of covers the interim between now and the next live. So let's do it today. Um, thank you very much for joining me live. I am streaming on Instagram Facebook and YouTube. Um, please show your support with thumbs up on uh, YouTube so that apparently it helps other people find while, us while we're alive. Give me some hearts on Instagram and I think there's stars on Facebook, but you would, I just am guessing really. So um, today we're going to talk about the Great Fire of London. Um, we've also got some other bits and bobs that we might get onto including what we're doing on History After Dark tonight, Um, some of the videos that are now live on podcast and YouTube that you can grab hold of and and you can already see or listen to, Um, and yeah, other things that are coming up, some cool stuff that I've been up to this morning as well. So um, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Um, If you want to support me, like I say, thumbs up, um <laughs> Melanie first time I'm fully awake yes because we're at a new time of three o'clock rather than one o'clock UK time so um it seems to be suiting people so it looks like we might stay at this time Mayfair for us. switch good afternoon to you too hello Christina in Bucharest thank you so much everyone for joining um so yeah you can support me with badges on uh Instagram that's the stars on Facebook isn't it super chats on YouTube tube. What I'd love you to do is join my Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash British history. And you get loads of things. Thank you, Deborah Reed, for my badge on Instagram, you sweetheart. Thank you very, very much. Um, But yeah, over on Patreon, you at the moment have got a bonus hour with James Clark, Professor James Clark. Uh, But I'll talk about more about that in a bit. I do want to say, though, thank you to Jennifer, Ellie and Gail, who have all become members of Patreon this week. So welcome, ladies. Um, So if you have a question that you want to pop into the chat while we're going, please feel free. I apologise in advance if I don't see it. Um, I will do my best to pick up on them. But yeah, I thought I'd talk about the Great Fire of London today because it is um, coming up to the anniversary, 2nd of September is when it began 1666 oh thank you I have white on today it's because later on I will be in black for a uh, history after dark I've decided it's white for this and black for history after dark mm-hmm. it was also oh I may as well tell you now I've also so I'll come back to the great Fab London I've also been interviewing this morning so I've been interviewing Nicola Tallis um I might have already told you this but um she wrote this book she's She's actually about to release her fifth book, but this is one of the books that are out there at the moment. Hello, Stephanie in Kentucky. Thank you for joining. Um, yeah, so Nicola Towers wrote this book about Margaret Beaufort, it's a biography of Margaret Beaufort, uh, mother of Henry VII, the Seventh, matriarch of the Tudor dynasty, and. Um, and I went to see Nicola speak at the Harvington History Festival earlier in the summer. Um, actually, I'd already spoken to her about doing an interview with me, but it was great to meet her in person. And then we got together this morning over Zoom to record an interview, and that will be available in October. Um, October, in fact, I can tell you the date. It's October the 15th uh, it will be available on YouTube. A week earlier for patrons, there's there's another there's a one of the benefits of being a patron in September. It is the interview with Dr. Jonathan Foyle, which I definitely have made mention of because um, he spoke to us about the um, bed of Henry VII and Elizabeth of York, the marriage bed, which he is, he's got rafts of evidence to identify it as such. And yet you can't go see it. Um, It is not on display anywhere. You won't find a journal article written about it. And he goes into why that is um, and the frustrations around that, actually. So that will be available. um, That's just one of the parts of the interview, by the way. Um, He goes into that and that will be available on the 17th of September. Again, a week earlier for members of my Patreon, um, which I might have a thing with the uh, address on. There you are, if you're on Facebook and YouTube www.patreon.com www.patreon, forward slash British History. There is also a link in my Instagram bio. Right, so that's done. Let's get to the Great Fire of London. Now, I don't know, is this a story that if you're not in the UK that you are familiar with? Hi, Melissa. How are you doing? Melissa's on tour with me this year. Um, how, yeah, is this is this a story that you're familiar with? Um, I suppose most medieval world countries have had a massive fire at some point especially in in sort of medieval times Um, and indeed London isn't our only city to have um, suffered a catastrophic fire however we're coming up to the anniversary so it began 2nd of September 1666 now of course it's famous for starting in a bakery on Pudding Lane, uh, the bakery of Thomas Fariner, who we will come back to it later, but he escapes all blame. It's quite incredible. Um, And pudding as well, just as an aside, if you didn't know, doesn't mean pudding as we think of pudding today. It's not a dessert. It is um, a it's possibly for an old English word. I'm not quite sure actually which which language it comes from, um, but it means the entrails of the um, cattle and whatever which would have been slaughtered, um, and then the entrails were taken down to the river to be carted off and I don't know, disposed of, um, and they would have gone down Pudding Lane, and uh, yeah, so apparently that's where where it comes from. Um, so. It begins on the second of September. We have quite a lot of information about it. Good morning, Linda. Linda is about to come on tour with me and has been on tour with me before. (laughs) Can't wait to see you. Um, She, uh, sorry, so yeah, so the one of the reasons we know so much about it is, well, big reason is the Diary of Samuel Pepys. So famous diarist of the um, of the seventeenth century. And he's living in London at the time. He's living on um I think it's called Seething Lane. There's actually a Peeps Lane now, which clearly wasn't it wasn't around when he was he was alive. And um and he is um he is woken early in the morning by his um by his one of his maids mayfair forest which oh yeah for sure honestly i didn't know much about british history until little every year ago but the great fire of london was on history lessons in polish schools wow well i wonder what the relevance was there um ali's watching from work good well done (laughs) i'll keep you entertained hopefully (laughs) while you're doing that um so he's, re- he's woken by his um his maid at something like three o'clock in the morning. And and she's te- she, she's actually already quite agitated by this. She's hearing rumors that this is a fire that is um is taking hold. Fire, of course, was not unusual. Um, and it, despite the fact that you didn't have an organized fire brigade, people were used to um used to fire they're used to tackling fire and they would do it they don't have you know hoses and fire engines and whatever so then I suppose they might have used water for smaller fires but one of the things they would use is um fire breaks so in fact people's houses would be pulled down to create a break because you've got closely packed um uh, houses in fact I'm going to come back to this and because I want to talk about about St Paul's but over on um youtube and facebook i've just put a picture up of um i think it's, that's vanguard's um a sketch of the city of London, and you've got very very closely packed in buildings small streets um sort of cartload wide um and so you can imagine that once fire starts then they're go- it's going to take hold because it just literally goes from from house to house to house to house so you, you'd use a fire break. It would be taken. The buildings would be taken down. The fire couldn't spread, and um, and the the damage would be limited. Um. So so this is presumably the sort sort of thing that peeps is going to think. Well, that's going to happen. So I am going to back back to bed. But at seven o'clock, um, he's 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 either he wakes up or he's woke. Woken up again by his maid and she tells him actually now 300 houses have already been consumed by this fire so overnight it has gone from a sort of everyday occurrence to these tiny streets are filled with thick smoke around the fire um they uh, the the, the weather is quite windy so that is helping the fire it is I imagine sort of small um, uh, streets as well. Small sort of alleyways are going to kind of create um, drafts and and pull throughs for the fire and the smoke. And people are beginning to panic. Church bells are being rung as warnings to wake people up to get them um, to get them aware of what's going on and. Um, the Lord Mayor has already kind of missed his chance to to do these fire breaks because they, this fire has taken hold. It is um, being fanned by the by the the wind. Um, his name was uh, Sir Thomas Bloodworth, and he famously underestimated the fire. Whether we underestimated it purely for because he just didn't think it was going to be this um, this big, or whether he was hoping it wouldn't be that big, because actually to pull down um, firebreaks in the middle of London, to pull down buildings, excuse me, to create firebreaks in the middle of London, was going to affect the people whom he was relying on as donors to his uh, campaign to get re-elected. There's nothing new on the earth, so um, so the the initial um, uh, chance to contain this fire has been lost, and um, you've got people panicking. People are pa- they're panicking, and at the same time, you've got people just in disbelief. You've actually got people not moving, and then they're panicking last minute and trying to move. You've got carts in the street trying to to get people's belongings away it's just uh, it's utter chaos it's n- the noise of the fire the tolling of the bells the the, the um, crackling of the fire the the smoke the just—it's just uh, <laughs> hell on earth um and so you've got all this chaos, this indecision of people, whether they should move or not. Um, on the first day, one of Peep's friends, Peep's friends, uh, is how he say it, would, was bringing his things over to Peep's house. Um, so he is, Peep's house, Peep's, Peep's house, Peep's house, sounds weird to say Peep's, uh, is, w- was located um, around about, if you think about where the tower of london is it's not too far from the tower of london that's where his house was he was sort of on the um he was on the very edge of the city and his friend is bringing him bringing things his possessions over um for safekeeping within the end by the end of the 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 first full day it is um clear or it looks like they're going to have to move all these things again. And Peeps is going to have to start to look to move his things as well. And he describes um, the scene, things like with one's face in the wind, we were almost burned with a shower of fire drops. So you've got smoke. Good morning, Becky. You've got smoke. You've got um, lit embers. Hi, Jenna. How are you doing? Uh, whipped upon the wind catching light to other um uh, buildings presumably landing on the people who were trying to get out and on the people's belongings and on the animals that are trying to flee as well um it is really really um harrowing when you start to think about it and at the time there were 83 87 excuse me parish churches in the city of london um and they're all tolling their bells they told their bells until, of course, they can't um, and they're consumed by fire. Um, so. It's it's just it's, it's such a harrowing scene. Now, I wanted to talk about St. Paul's, old St. Paul's Cathedral in the middle of the city. Um, last week, I spoke about Westminster and how Westminster got its name and it was built um uh, time of uh, Edward the Confessor and named Westminster. Well, was, I mean, that's not its official name, but it colloquially as Westminster, dedicated to Saint Peter, because in the east, the Eastminster was already established and dedicated to uh, Saint Paul. Um, and um, so, so the the the, the Old St Paul's Cathedral is sat in the city, in the in the middle of the city. It is. Everyone assumes it's going to be a fire break anyway because of the churchyard, um, and so it. In fact, people go there to the booksellers of Paternoster Row will go there and store their books in there, assuming that they will be safe. Unfortunately, there is already restoration work being done on the cathedral, and it uh, the, the the scaffold um, sets light. The, the, the lead on the roof of St. Paul's Cathedral melts and it, it um, rolls down the pillars. The pillars crack and the roof caves in and the entire thing is lost. Now, that church, so that St. Paul's Cathedral, old St. Paul's, was, um, was probably the fourth on the site dedicated to St. Paul's. So the one we've got now is, um, is the fifth. I'm going to put a little picture up on Facebook and Instagram and uh, YouTube, excuse me. Um, There was built between, there was actually a fire there in 1087. So of the third one. And so it was, it was, it began to be rebuilt in 1087, but that building work carried on uh, for a long time. It was completed in 1314, but the fourth, so the fourth one had been consecrated though back in 1240 and then building work had carried on. When that fire took hold, we lost the Shrine of St. Um, Erkenwald, which who was a, um, an Anglo-Saxon or 7th uh, century um, uh, a bishop. Um, also the burial place of John of Gaunt. But this is where St. Paul's Cathedral is where Arthur Tudor, the um, eldest son of Henry VII and Elizabeth of York had married Catherine of Aragon in a very huge public ceremony. It's where Henry VII, when he won at the Battle of Bosworth uh, in 1485, he came to St. Paul's when he came to London. He came to give thanks at the altar. He um, he put down three standards, the Dragon of Wales, the St. George's Cross, and the Duncow, um, which is a Lancastrian symbol. And so this, this, this church, though, by this point has been stood in part from 1087, all of it probably around from around 1314, sort of completed, and then you get little bits added on and whatever. Um, for what are we there? Three over three centuries, and it it's uh, it's inconceivable that this is going to be consumed by the fire. However, it is it is, and we lose a lot. Um, but St Paul's, so th- the. Not only do you lose all that, but it is actually a little community in itself. It is, um, it's more like a walkway inside as well. So people would walk through. It, Prostitutes were there um, trying to get trade. Um, there were there were, were booksellers and pamphleteers, there were newsmongers, people who would come and tell the news from the court, from the battlefield, from the courts, wherever. Um, it was really bustling thank you jennifer the badge that's very very kind um it it, so it 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 was a it was a a sort of central part of of some people's lives um it's very interesting to think of it like that because now we go into a cathedral and we're quiet and we're very respectful that is not how st paul's cathedral is being used uh in 1666 but that's that is all all lost. Um, it was also there it was also also the very place of Ethelred, who's another Anglo-Saxon king so um, Now that's St Pauls. then I'm going to put up what it is now for people on Facebook and Instagram. Wren's Cathedral is the fifth one. That's the one that um, replaced. There's a story about the dome actually. As well the dome of st paul's looks very like the like um st Peter's in rome and so actually there was a lot of objection to the dome and it was added well i mean it's, it's the roof so it's it's the last thing that sort of went on went on but when i was speaking to one of the architectural historians when i went around there a few years ago um he said well from the plans ren had uh Wren had designed it so that the dome was going to go on. <laughs> anyway, that's a bit of a side story. Um, um, so, yeah. So now we know it began in Pudding Lane in the yard of um, Thomas Fariner. It, it starts um, probably, see, everyone had a, um, a responsibility to make sure that their fires are out at night. You're living in a city of wood. It's been a long dry summer by this point and um, there's some carelessness anyway. So this fire starts and the family, actually the Farroner family, the, the ground floor is lit, you know, is, is on fire when um, Thomas Farroner's son, also another Thomas finds or, dis- or discovers the fire and um, they have to escape through a upstairs window um, into neighbors across the the road remembering how Tudor houses um medieval houses sort of will come in um as you go up the floors so I mean still dangerous and their maid wouldn't follow them so actually their maid perishes um early on in the fire one of the, the, the probably the first victim of the fire um and so you've Got these, the the weather is whipped up, these houses are closely packed. It's been a long, dry summer. They're all made of wood, they're dried out, they're probably not in great condition. Wattle and Daub actually is um, quite fireproof if it's in good condition, but probably not. Um, So, how does it, how does it, um, how is it put out? Well, we've also already talked about the Lord Mayor, Thomas Bloodworth, being useless at the beginning. He, he avoids pulling down people's houses because he is trying to keep on side his donors for his next campaign to be Lord Mayor. Um, and actually the King, King Charles II, only, this is only six years after the restoration. He, um, Peeps actually goes to um, to Whitehall to inform him of this fire, and he comes with the with the Duke of York and the Duke of York, the future James II, actually has a um, a pivotal sort of leadership role in deciding now that they're going to pull down buildings. The, the fire is spreading so fast that they can't pull them down; they have to blow them up. Um, so they're using gunpowder. You can imagine again the noise the chaos, the confusion. Um, really quite incredible. Um and and it, it that along with the winds dying down, that with um yeah, so the fire breaks, the wind dying down, the fire running out of fuel, um, it 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 sort of starts to um to die down and it's so the city is smouldering by the sixth. 5th or 6th of September. The rains finally come on the 9th of September <laughs> and sort of cool it down, I suppose. Um, but you've got tens of thousands of people now homeless. All the parish, or not all the parish church, but 87 of the parish churches have been um, raised to the ground. Um, three quarters of, the, um, of, of London, of the city of London has been decimated. So again, apologies for you on Instagram, but um, on Facebook and uh, YouTube, I've just put up a map. This is by um, uh, Wenceslas Holler and it's it's owned by the Museum of London. But you can see the white area is the area that is uh, had been taken by the fire so it's basically most of the the city of London and it comes and someone I'm sorry someone did mention this earlier in the comments um, I didn't see who it does come incredibly close to the Tower of London so there are some surviving things surviving buildings from the Great Fire one of them is the Tower of London had the fire have got there then um, speculation is that because that's where Um, weapon weaponry gunpowder and all of that is kept or was kept um that that would have blown up and we may well not have had the tower especially well not as it is now um uh, all hallows by the tower the uh, church there where um people um, beheaded on Tower Hill would be first taken and they might be taken elsewhere to be buried, but first taken. That survives. Peeps actually goes up to on top of the tower to to watch what's happening at one point. Um, that unfortunately falls foul of a Luftwaffe bomb in the Blitz. Um, some of it's still standing, but but a lot of that was lost. But Peeps' own church, St. Olav's, where he is buried, that survives the fire. And he talks about the congregation the day after, um, or the week after, excuse me, um, the congregation being full of strangers, people who have no parish to go to, and just the incredible um, melancholy, despair that people are feeling. Um, And that's, uh, there's a very, very human story, very, very human side to the story of the Great Fire of London. Think of the buildings going, and I'll talk a little bit in a moment about the rebuilding. But people were, people were, I was going to say devastated to the, their whole lives have been taken away from them, the place of um, work, their um, livelihoods, their homes, Everything. Everything had been taken away. And in fact, Pepys um, had a cousin, a favourite cousin. Um, and um, her husband actually uh, committed suicide as a result of the of losing everything in the Great Fire. Now, at the time, that's illegal as well. So anything he still owned would be confiscated by the Crown because it's illegal to commit suicide, which meant it wouldn't be available to his wife. I think Pepys having um, his link into the crown, into the king, was um, able to help his cousin out, I think, for that. But that is what would have that is what would have happened. Now, the official death toll, I don't know if this has been revised, but it's always gone down to six. Um, the fire, at certain points... Was burning at seventeen hundred degrees Celsius. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. I'm afraid, but basically hot enough that um, people could have perished in 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 the fire and not not been and there be no trace. Um, You've also got. Then the follow-on disease that came. We're talking September, so we're going into the autumn and into the um, th- that following winter that, that killed people. And, and like I've just given the example of, um, of people taking their own life because of the despair of it. So you'd have thought with all this going on that there would have been a, uh, well, it's natural, the blame game. What comes next? Who is blamed for this? Not as you might expect, Thomas Fariner. So it's, 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 it's odd because it seems that he is it, the, 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 the uh, starting point of the fire is well known, and yet um, I'm not sure when that comes to light because the people who are blamed for it, one, the Lord Mayor, Bloodworth, takes his fair share of blame for not acting early enough. But there was a big swathe of people who blamed who, who thought there was a plot basically that it was foreigners especially catholics that were um that had caused this fire deliberately and indeed that's another group of people who died as a result of the fire there were lynchings in the street um awful awful things um because there, there was rumors going around that the that, that catholics had thought well this is god's um this this is this is God's judgment on the new king, the Protestant Charles II, who converted on his deathbed. But there was also a man who who actually um, confessed. So there was a French watchmaker, well, Frenchman, but supposedly a watchmaker, who um, who claimed that he'd been sent by the Pope to start the fire, and he was. Um, he was executed for for this crime. However, he had claimed that the fire began in Westminster. Well, Westminster is around the bend of the river. Um, And so he's not even in the right place. And actually, he wasn't in London at all on the 2nd of September. But such was the fervor for wanting to blame someone that that, that someone was executed for it. Other people took the law into their own hands. You know, Peeps talks about the streets are not safe for foreigners to walk because there are there are lynch mobs out. People are so angry. Um so but, and yet and yet yeah Thomas Fariner nothing. Nothing. And a committee had been set up to have a look at it. I had read somewhere and I can't remember where, so I am take this with a pinch of salt. I might be wrong, that Thomas Farrenner was actually on the committee which investigated the fire. Um, Becky, I took a walking tour that started at the fire monument. A small church nearby had survived that the fire and the blitz, but was heavily damaged by a crane falling on it. Do I know which one? No. Um, there is... Um, um um, um, um the, far, the, the well there's there's a church that is completely escaped the name of it completely escapes me at the moment where farina is supposed to be buried which is it also has a um oh I'll remember it maybe if I remember it, I'll I'll post it later um it is supposed to be where Farina's buried although when i went to try and find his grave no one there knew about that and i couldn't find it um it, uh, it has a model of Old London Bridge in it. That that um, that church that I'm talking about. I don't know which one is the one that um, that would have survived the fire, the Blitz, and then had a crane fall on it. Not sure. Sorry, sorry, Becky. Um, um, but yeah. So the the so you've got monument now. Let's talk about that because that's what Becky's talking about. She started uh, her walking tour at. The monument, it was erected on the, um, uh, well, it's actually, it's 202 foot tall. And if you laid it on its side, it's supposed to be 202 foot away from where the fire started. And on the top is a golden urn, which is supposed to represent the fire. Uh, It's 313 steps. How many steps is it? Three hundred eleven, excuse me, steps. If you wanted to go up it, it has got quite good views. I mean, it's completely swallowed up by, um, by surrounding buildings now, but it, it would have it would have been obviously completely visible when it was first put up as a monument to the survival of the city, and um, and what it had been through. Uh, it is on the site of the first church to be taken. Which I think was St Margaret's, but I can't remember. But anyway, the, the monument is stood on the side of the first church that was taken by the fire. And like I said, two hundred and two foot tall because it's two hundred and two foot away from the um, from from the, the point of the start of the fire. Um, I think was that. What I think that was about all that I was going to say about the fire. Um it took a long time to rebuild the city. Oh, that was what I was going to say, actually. So m- lots of the city went, obviously through through the um uh, through the fire in terms of the buildings. Um, the committee, by the way, uh, crucially ruled that it was a foreign enemy that had started the fire, not carelessness not uh, an accident and that had implications for who paid for the rebuilding so that meant that landlords had to pay had to foot the bill for the rebuilding not tenants um so so there's that which is that's that's fairly interesting i wonder if thomas Farina was uh, a tenant and not a owner don't know. So, and also to pay for the churches and the cathedrals, there was a new tax levied on people, a coal tax. Hmm. But they were, they were looking at uh, people like Wren and um, there was other uh, um, um, architects at the time, Robert Hooke, John Evelyn, they were thinking, right, this is a perfect opportunity. We're going to have Wide streets and boulevards. Um, it's going to be going to be beautiful, but land ownership issues got in the way. Just a need to rebuild quickly as well meant that actually buildings just went back up pretty much where they were. There were more building regulations in terms of how um, uh, tall a building could be, how uh, what what uh, material it could be faced with, how close it could be to other buildings. But they, it was, it was, it was, um, it was rebuilt fast, and that opportunity to come up with a brand new street plan was 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 lost. So it's in, in, intriguing to think of what kind of um, layout we could have had—a a completely different London. Um, but we don't, which does mean though that we have the street layout of medieval London, so you can still follow. The procession that um, say Elizabeth I would have taken from the Tower of London through the city uh, Edward VI Anne Boleyn, you know you can still take the route that they would have taken because those streets more or less exist, um, just nowhere near in the way that they would recognise so yeah so by the time we get to next week's live that would be all over pretty much so there you go now if you want to hear more about the great fire of london from someone else who knows way way more than i do (laughs) i have a interview on youtube um and it must be on the podcast as well with hazel forsyth who um who works at the museum of london and she's actually written a book called um butcher baker candlestick maker and it's about it's about the people she's she's the source I have for the um the the stories of um of, of the hardships that the, the the people of London went through following the fire it's a, it's a great book if you can get hold of it but if you want to see my interview with her which is based on that book then that is on YouTube and on the podcast um I think it's on the podcast definitely on YouTube which by the way also already say, it also says that when I do a video, it goes on the podcast, so, or goes on a podcast. Mm, I know. Uh, so, yeah, if you want to know more about that, at the moment on wow. YouTube, it, where are we? Wednesday, episode three in the Dissolution of the Monasteries series has just gone live at one o'clock today. That's with James Clark. Um, and today, um, so sorry, so it's the third third episode today. I was trying to think what the title of the one is today. But I've looked at them so many times that I'm I'm going to mix it up, which it is. Uh, but that is available and the so the the fourth and fifth will be available obviously tomorrow and Friday, um, on YouTube and on the podcast. And if you uh, are a member of Patreon, then there is an extra hour with James. Now he's talking about things like um what Amberlyn what Amberlyn's involvement but I mean obviously she dies in 1536 and the dissolution doesn't really get going um until after that but what are her views already what has she expressed already he goes into that um and the the outcome for the nuns and abbesses to so the women who were in these religious institutions because they were not allowed the only thing they weren't allowed to do is get out of their vow of chastity which meant they couldn't go and get married um and many dealt with it in very different ways linda um So Linda is a member of my Patreon. That series is excellent. Thank you so much. Number three is the Valor Ecclesiasticus. Thank you. I thought it was, and I didn't want to say in case I got it wrong. Oh, Chelsea, thank you so much for the badges on Instagram. Thank you. That's very, very, very kind. Um, yes, if you're watching and you are enjoying, please, um, you can do thumbs up, I think on, on YouTube and hearts on Instagram to help people find me while I'm live, but also if you want to help me support me keep going then there's badges on Instagram um super chats on YouTube and stars on Facebook um and of course what I'd love you to do is join my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash British history now you get therefore the extra it's because I can give you I can give you a lot more back there um including this extra bonus hour with with James um Clark about the dissolution I hope um, it seems to be, and I hope this is the case, that that my patrons who've watched all of the um, episodes, this five so far, and people who are ca- uh, now watching on YouTube, it is... Um, thank you, Melissa. Melissa also recommends my Patreon. Um, it is looking at the dissolution in a different way. And when, I'm, when I say different, not sort of a different perspective, but actually I would say properly looking at it um, because James looks at it from the point of view of the people going through it. And through that, you get a far, um, thank you, Ginsack, for my badges. That's very, very kind on Instagram. Um, by doing, uh, by looking at the dissolution from the people who were involved in it, you get a so much more clarity as to what actually happened. Um, the, um, the indecision, the lack of plan from above. So not, not this Henry VIII is going to just dissolve all the monasteries because he fancies the cash narrative, or um or uh, Thomas Cromwell and um, initially Anne Boleyn as such religious zealots that they just want these places wiped off the map. No, these things are way too simplistic in in some ways i would argue they're not actually true because they have been over totally oversimplified um and if you if you like the interviews with james like i say there's the extra bonus hour on patreon but also his book the dissolution of the monasteries a new history is um is on audible and it's um i'm just recommending cuz i love it I'm, I'm not getting any commission or anything like that i just think it's it's a wonderful book and and if you are on, I think I have not said this yet because this has just been um, confirmed. If you are coming on the Anne Boleyn tour in April 2024, so this is the first one of the year next year. It begins on the 30th of April, goes through to the 4th of May. If you're on that tour, James will be coming to speak on that tour about um, to Anne Boleyn and the, uh, and the Reformation. Um, so it'd be amazing. Um, but yeah, so he talks about, you know, there are things in there. I'm not sure if this is in, in some of the interviews, but you know, examples of, uh, you, you, let me preface this by saying you'd think everyone is so frightened of Henry the eighth that they don't try and do any shenanigans. That's always been sort of what I was thinking, but you have people, um, you know, these religious people, um, sending um signing over um uh property to other people um before the dissolution before because they hear the commissioners are coming so they sign it over so we can't we can't have that bit because that's that that's actually not ours it's not us uh we sold it to uh, my brother or something like that um so you see very very human things happening Trying to get through loopholes, you have people moving back in monks moving back into the buildings after the commissioners have left. Where are they going to go? But it, it also it, it talks about you know what they're going to wear. Um, there's all sorts. There are probably as many unique stories as well as there are people who were involved um, from the point of view of the. The monks and nuns and abbots and abbesses and that that the were there, through to the commissioners as well, and people who came to try and close them down, close the monasteries down. So anyway, so it's so the Valor Ecclesiasticus episode. Thank you, Linda, for for um, confirming that to me. It is available today. That's available right now. So you can, if you fancy treating yourself to that, you can go and listen to that um, after this, and. The Valor Ecclesiasticus is he, well, James goes into what it's what it was for, what it contained, and a very exciting piece of work that he is um doing at the moment, trying to get it accessible to everyone, which would be, I think, a incredible resource, especially for local historians. That would be amazing. Um, um yeah, because there's some there's some Places that you you just can't see there was anything left. I was at a place called Wenlock Priory the other day, which you may have seen um, me post about on Instagram, and um, and that you know that that priory had stood since before the Norman Conquest. It had been founded. Um, it must have been just inconceivable. What have what have we got? That's that's you know if you think of anything that could have been around for so what are we talking six seven eight centuries nearly nearly ten centuries in some cases um um the these these institutions they're permanent they're permanent and they're gonna go and on Friday so the last episode um James is talking about how even right up to the end the ones that are left do not believe it's going to be a total dissolution they think they're going to survive which again knocks on uh, or turns on its head the assumption we have that henry had this idea of um closing down all of the monasteries in fact his what comes across and what james actually actually says is that henry is inconsistent um he doesn't know what he's going to be doing he there is no clear plan for the monasteries. Um, so i really hope you enjoy that series i i've really really enjoyed putting it together and i, I it took a, it took a lot because james was so so um, uh, generous with his time that i wanted to serialize it so that you could you could watch it in nice bite-sized chunks um so it took me a little while to get it out to you but i i, I hope you really really enjoy it um and like i said, you, and you can listen to it on the podcast as well so um so it doesn't, you don't have to watch it. You can listen to it on the podcast. Um, I've already mentioned, but doc, the interview I've done with Dr. Jonathan Foyle, that will be available on the 17th of September, a week early for patro- a week earlier, excuse me, for patrons. I have just interviewed um, again, as I said earlier, Dr. Nicola Tallis, that will be available in October. And oh, Linda says it was well worth the wait. Good. Thank you. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Um, the, the, um, So the interview with Nicola will be available in October. Patrons were able to put their own questions to Nicola. In fact, Nicola, Jonathan, Gareth Russell's interview is also available right now on the Palace. His latest book about Hampton Court Palace, 500 Years of History. Um, And patrons were able to put their their questions to James. It's a running theme. If you're a member of my Patreon, you get to put your questions to the historians that I am interviewing so um so that's also I think well worth uh, well worth it and then that uh that part of the interview those questions and answers is uh, an extended version it makes it the extended version of the episode of the interview um and patrons get that and it's all out free as well so you don't get the annoying adverts either um I will be here again I'll be here actually before I go before I talk about next week I'll be here tonight I'll be on history after dark tonight it's just me and Catherine Brooks tonight Uh, so we'll be on history after dark on YouTube history.after.dark on Instagram Um, and it is a well it's a bit of an a a bit of an ask us anything so I've put a uh, request out on the history after dark Instagram story for suggestions of what we can talk about tonight, um, so um, so it could go all over the place. That's <laughs> so we shall see, <laughs> it should be fun. So I'd love to see you there, um, and I will be back here for history chat next Wednesday at three o'clock uh, UK time. I am then away the following week. Linda and me are going on tour uh, with some other the fabulous, fabulous people. Um, we are going on the Elizabeth the First and Mary Queen of Scots tour. So please follow um, on Instagram and, and, the, and Facebook. I will be on the stories there um, posting about the tour and where we're at and what we're doing. Again, if you're a member of my Patreon, you'll be getting some behind the scenes uh, things as well. So I think for now... Oh, the other thing actually, before I go, Book Club 2024, the long list for Book Club, which is in, again, in my Patreon, um, is uh, I'm going to announce that and put that out to vote for the vote um, within the next, probably the next few days. I have a long list of books. And this is what this is what we did last year. And the members of Patreon can vote as to which books we are going to look at in 2024. If you wanna to, want to join, then our next book club meeting is the 17th of September. We're discussing Houses of Power by Simon Thurley. The book club meeting after that, the last one for 2023, is the 12th of November, and that is to discuss Sist- the Sisters Who Would Be Queen by Leander DeLisle. But by then we will also have our voted on list of books for 2024 and I will do my best as well to put the dates together as well for those book club meetings so everyone knows what's happening. So that's another interesting thing, cool thing that's happening. Right. But for now, I will leave you to your day. Thank you so much for joining me live. Um, Thank you if you're joining on the catch up. Thank you for listening on the podcast and I will see you all Hopefully tonight on uh, History After Dark, or see you um, see you next week here. Someone's just said about my jumper, it's quite cold here. If you're Linda, pack a jumper. It's it's quite cold. All right, all right, everyone. I'll see you later. Bye-bye. Bye bye bye.